So my guest Josh is a podcaster and blogger who has a strong belief in the tradition of conservatism in America. Uh, he believes being virtuous is the most important thing we can do. And his conservative philosophy that he kind of buys into suggests more often than not, the most virtuous thing we can do is to not try to drive radical change. There's certainly times for that, without a doubt. But most often, um, he believes in kind of the conservative philosophy believes we'd be better off to trust in the natural course of things and the way that they've worked in the past. And we approach this discussion in kind of a very intellectual way trying to understand the logic, the function, the value of conservatism as kind of a theory and a political philosophy or even a social philosophy. So rather than debate like specific political or social issues, although we touched on some of those, we debated kind of the underlying rationale of this approach um, and really looked at it from like a philosophical perspective to understand what, what is the underpinnings? What is the logic of conservatism? Does it make sense? And perhaps the most fundamental question in the debate, you know, as we were working through this, was if we as humans have an obligation to try to do better than nature or our history has done in the past, um, right? Is it virtuous to try to find a better way? Even if that means cracking some eggs and, and driving some change and being radical at times, um, is the right thing to do to push for that? Or is it to exercise more prudence and temperance and the more conservative approach? So a really, really interesting, intellectual, deep discussion into conservatism and what it really means and how it really plays out. Um, so really thank Josh a lot for being on the show and hopefully you guys enjoy the episode. All right, Josh, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you making the time and excited to talk to you today. Um, I will start with the first question, as I always do, to just jump right in with what's the value, what's the perspective, what's the belief um, that's really important to you that you have strong conviction in? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I always enjoy having conversations, even with people I haven't had a chance to meet before. I've had a chance to listen to some of your episodes, and I have every reason to believe we will have a engaging conversation. Oh, the value that I thought of, and I could I could probably name several, but the one I thought of, I'm going to get really meta on you here, is virtue. Okay. And the reason I say that's meta is because there was an old, the father of neoconservatism, Irving Kristol, said that what we used to call virtues we today defensively call values. And I always thought that was an interesting phrasing. And I believe what he meant by that, reading some more of his writings, was that the word virtue and values are somewhat interchangeable. However, value carries with it an almost implicit idea that there is a benefit to it, mm. that there's a utility to it, that there's these are our values because it has some sort of a trading or transactional nature to it. That if we do these things, they benefit us in some manner. Whereas virtue is itself inherently, if you pardon the expression, valuable, right? Mm. It could be that we could demonstrate an individual if they follow a virtuous life are going to have a more miserable life than if they had chosen, say, hedonism. But that still doesn't, it, it doesn't follow that that means they ought not to be virtuous. Mm. So I thought that was, it, it's, I, I love what you're doing here in your podcast. I thought that was mm. kind of interesting when I um, reflected on that crystal quote. Because obviously, value, I use the phrase values all the time. Yeah. You can use those interchangeably. Um, but I thought that we, you know, in, in the world we live in, I'm thinking of the uh, Oprah Winfrey, what is it? Uh, um, the most powerful tool you have is your yeah. truth yeah. or something to that effect. Or, or the, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on names. Here we go. Uh, the pastor, your best life now, Joel Olstein. Okay. And there, there is some value, if you will, to those ideas. But ideas of, like that, don't really get put to the test. If your mm -hmm. life is in danger, you're going to abandon your truth 
or your best life now. But virtue, we've seen people do amazing, courageous things when they truly held, no, this is virtuous. This is right, even if it's going to cost me everything. Mm. Mm. How do you, I mean, I guess going right into the meta side of it, and these are these are questions that we could spend the whole rest of this episode and 10 more on this question. So we'll see where it takes us. But I, I get what you're saying conceptually. What What are we saying though? What is virtue? You said there's inherent value to it. Um, you presented in a way which I which I don't disagree with, by the way, that it's almost like um, it's it's not rooted in kind of rational thinking necessarily. Maybe it's just the right thing to do. Almost, how are we defining virtue though? Like, what is it? What makes it inherently valuable? How do we know it is kind of this holy grail as you're speaking of it? I've no again, I have no yeah. reason it's not. But what gives you that conviction? Yeah, and and I I kind of cheated by using the word virtue again, mm-hmm. synonymous sometimes with value because. But again, a lot of your guests and episodes, they come up with great ones, right? Gratitude or authenticity or mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. They can all be sort of encompassed under virtue. So it's hard to define because it covers a lot of ground. And one of the things I would say the nature of, and I'm not trying to dodge your question, give you an exact definition, but maybe to help flesh this out. Sure. One of the things my my personal convictions are is a denial of, say, um, monolithic thinking about virtues. Or, or, or to put that another way, most virtues are actually vices if they're done disproportionately to the mm-hmm. other virtues. Mm-hmm. Even amazing things like love can actually become demonic almost if it's done in excess and at the expense of everything else. Uh, to love one thing over another, you can kind of destroy You have to keep these things within certain hierarchies. So I, I think virtue is, in a, in a broad sense, right behavior that recognizes the individual components of virtue are in some degree in tension with each other. Mm. Patience is a virtue, but we can certainly think of times in which to be patient would not be virtuous. So too is justice, but so too is mercy. Those mm. two things need to be balanced. And, and I, I don't unfortunately have like a clear-cut definition for you. Um, I, I don't want to go in the religious realm because there are aspects in which religion sure. can answer some of these questions, but for our purposes, maybe in a broad um broad definition, I would just say that virtue is right behavior put in its proper orders so yeah. that one virtue doesn't become a vice in excess of the others. Yeah, it's it's one of those interesting things where it's it's to me that the, the, the logic, if you will, of that answer holds and makes sense as you say it. But it's still one of those answers where, and this isn't a knock, this is the nature of what we're talking about. It could still feel insufficient of like, but I still can't put my hands directly on it. And I, and I hear you, like that's kind of mm-hmm. the nature of it because it is kind of that balancing and even though the making the right decision, maybe if we frame it in, you mentioned the neoconservative beliefs. I know that conservative views are something that's big to you. Maybe if you frame it in that, because um, the question I want to ask is when it's nebulous like that, when it's tough to define, how do you assess it? How do you determine if something actually is virtuous, if it is the right decision in the moment? What's the thing that allows you to tell with that? Maybe using the conservative views, what gives you the view that those are, at least the ones that you believe in, are the virtuous ones? Where's that? How does that kind of connect together? Yeah, maybe I uh, maybe I um, picked a bad um, attribute to to hold to saying virtue because it occurred <laughs> to me that you're going to ask questions like, "Good Lord, this is going to be too broad." And we could pivot <laughs> from it, right? Like I frankly think of it just as a jumping off point. So no, no, as we discuss it, it's actually you know what? It's more this. I'm cool. I'm you know whatever the truth is. That's fine. It's just I I don't I don't know if I can answer your question satisfactorily mm, satisfactorily, but I'll, I'll I'll offer some thoughts. Um, one is that oftentimes when we use a word such as conservative, uh, we also need to stop and define, well, what do we mean by that? 
Okay. Now, conservatism is multifaceted, and there are certain definitions of conservative that I don't ascribe to, and there are others that I do. And I am conservative both in, both in my personal life and in my political outlook or worldview, if you will. And I think it's very important sometimes to keep those two things separate. Um, virtues in a political sense aren't necessarily virtues in a private sense. And keeping those things separate at times, uh, in a political sense, for instance, and I don't mean to imply this is limited to conservatism, but in a political sense, there are virtues such as prudence, thinking through the long-term likely outcomes of something. Um, now, there, that can, again, if we talk about keeping virtues in tension, prudence can sometimes bump up against principle, right? Mm -hmm. This is right, so we ought to pursue it. But what if prudence says, well, what if pursuing it steers us in the wrong direction? There's that, I don't know if you've seen the movie, excellent movie, Lincoln, uh, Steven oh, Spielberg. Yeah. Um, he has that exchange, I forget the name of the senator, that was part of the abolitionists. And the uh, senator was arguing that the compass points to true north. And Lincoln's response was, you know, a compass, I know, it'll, it'll point you to true north. But it says nothing about the obstacles you encounter along the way. And if in pursuit of your journey, you sink into a swamp, of what use is it knowing true north? Now, that's a political virtue, right? It, it takes that sort of statesmanship, and there's no single answer to it. I know this is what you were kind of asking, mm -hmm. but this is where two different conservatives or somebody who's a conservative, not a conservative, can both be statesmen, employee prudence, and come up with slightly different answers. That's different than, say, the broader aspects of like my personal life. And I mentioned earlier religion. There are certain... Christian virtues that don't necessarily easily replicate to the secular world, such as faith or hope. Um, there may be some crossovers, but usually they're confined to the religious realm, things that we recognize as virtues, but they don't comport more so much directly and certainly are deeply inappropriate with politics, mm. right? We can, we can think of a, a very pious religious person um, needs to be careful to hold their religious views in check and not try to force the world to uh, to match the religious image in their head, that would be a very not virtuous thing to do. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's almost as you're explaining it in your words, and, and even in the way in which you're you're approaching the explanation, prudence is a word, temperance, like this, there's this sense of like thoughtfulness to it. When, when you say virtue, that's kind of what I'm hearing the action aspect of that look like, because as you said, it is a bit of a catch-all, which could encompass a lot of different virtues. But at the core, at the heart of what makes it kind of special or or maybe so valuable, to go back to that word, it seems like it's that ability to rationally, reasonably look at it and try and exercise thoughtful judgment towards some positive end, maybe is, is the way I would put it. And I hear that coming through so much in what you're saying, almost so much so where it would seem like, um, obviously, we don't know each other from that long, that you probably... Um, I would guess that you don't have a lot of strong views, actually, for that reason, because that those extremes that you're always kind of concerned about come into play in all aspects of our thinking and our and our views and our beliefs and all of that. Is that fair to say? Like, is it fair to say that even the conservative view that you do have, and I understand the nuance of that, as you said, the political versus the personal, is there like a, a strong conviction around it and a belief, or is it more tempered down, like we're saying? Is it like I generally lean conservative, but... I'm kind of very open to seeing what makes sense and evolving with the moment, that type of thing. It's a good question. And this is kind of what I was getting at earlier when I said by certain definitions, I'm not a conservative, depending on what we mean by that. It is unfortunate we live in an era in which typically you, you are viewed as more conservative the more extreme you are. Sure. And there is a sort of weird irony there in that the root of conservatism, meaning to conserve, 
which also sort of implies having gratitude for those things that we have, almost becomes the opposite of what we mean. The sort of, no, 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 we're going to tear it all apart. That's radicalism. That's literally the polar opposite. Liberalism is not the opposite of conservatism. It's actually radicalism. Mm -hmm. Radicalism is not always wrong. If I were a uh, citizen of North Korea, maybe the most appropriate response is an extreme radicalism, right? What it means to be an American conservative is very different than what it means to be a uh, a conservative in the Ottoman Empire circa you know, the 1700s. Those are conserving two very different systems. Mm. So you are correct in that both from a personal standpoint and also uh, my political outlook, I'm not necessarily what most people would call extreme. That being said, I believe that at times extremity is what's called for. Mm-hmm. But what, and, and I consider myself to be a, a Burkean conservative, that's referring to Edmund Burke. Okay. One of the things Burke was very famous for was he was very reticent to change. He was very careful. But w- occasionally he said, this is an actual crisis of civilization that requires an extreme response. And so it, it wasn't a anti-extremism or an extremism. It was rather a very, there's that word again, prudent mm-hmm. outlook toward when is it appropriate to apply um, th- that level of effort, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, what what fascinates me in general about life and, and humans and why I do this show is is the gray, the subjective, the nuance, and and everything that we're talking about it that that's present there. And I'm curious how you deal with that part of it. Um, and and that's why I'm pressing. I mean, the conservative route. I know that that is a, a belief that you have and kind of a, a view. So we can certainly stick with that one. But I mentioned that one just to kind of try and illustrate it or or see it a little bit, um, because like when when you think about the judgment it takes to say, okay, now's one of those times where it requires something extreme. There's that subjectivity. Like, how do you handle that aspect of it? Like the the conviction that you do have, what allows you to feel like, I know I'm seeing this accurately enough. I know in a world that's so complex and even virtue as a value, which is so complex because it's the, the makeup of a bunch of others that I feel like, yes, this is one of those times to do something radical or that I can feel so strongly about this belief. What what allows for that for you? And and that that is... A really good question that I'm again going to give you a not terribly satisfactory answer toward, but maybe it would help if I gave you an example sure. uh, of arguments that take place within the conservative, the broader conservative movement, even today. Um, because one of the things I find most fascinating about worldviews is when you dig into them, you'll find out that the most amazing arguments take place when the individuals that all believe the same thing are arguing with each other about a particular issue. Mm. Um, one of those are I, I call myself for example, a moment ago, a Burkean conservative. Now, there's a lot of overlap here, but not entirely. There are other strands of conservatism, other intellectual traditions. Um, Leo Strauss is a very famous one. He formed sort of a Straussian school. You might have heard of the Straussians. Uh, they splintered off in a dozen different directions, or the East Coast, the West Coast. One of them was Harry Jaffa, who kind of had his own school. He, he was a direct uh, disciple, if you will, of Leo Strauss. And he lived until his 90s. I think he died not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had a very lasting impact. And one of the things he taught um, very strongly was he centered American conservatism in a lot of ways within the Declaration of Independence and this notion of the rights um, that we have inalienable rights endowed from our creator. And specifically, as it was voiced by Abraham Lincoln in the crisis of the Civil War, that Lincoln got it right, right, that it, that it was this, that it was up until that time, it was really the Constitution overshadowed the declaration in a a lot of ways. And Lincoln employed the declaration in order to say, no, 
this is where we can philosophically and mm. fundamentally and politically take our stand and say, this is what's right, and we'll pursue this goal at an absolute crisis. And I think most conservatives, I would count myself as one of them, would say, yeah, the Civil War was one of those moments where extremity was appropriate, right? What, what else are we going to do? We're literally at war. Mm. The problem with that, if you fast forward to today, many, not all, but many of the followers of that Straussian, uh, Joffian, if you will, school of thought, are looking for a Lincoln-esque moment all the time. And would even say today that things are so bad that it's necessary for us to even vote for politicians that um, may be terrible individuals, but at least they're on our side. Mm. They're owning the libs. They're, they're evoking liberal tears. And we might have, in a previous age, agreed, that's the, why on earth are we mixing up with this? And, and they'll even, um, again, I want to stress here, not all Straussians. Yep. Some of them are even beginning to employ arguments like, well, the left has fought dirty all these years. What we need to do is we need to fight dirty also. And they'll even go so far as to uh, uh, try to join ranks with those like a uh, Minchus Moldbug or yeah. um, a Bronze Age pervert, individuals who are not conservative by any stretch, but are also so anti-left that they see that, well, maybe there's something to be gained from this. I don't agree with that. And I, and I think, and, and you're right, it is subjective. At what point do you say this has gone too far? And I'm more a Burkean conservative. I'm much more reticent. Burke was pro-American revolution to a certain degree. He thought it would, and he said that as a member of the British Parliament, which is kind of unusual. Um, I don't think he was for the the war. He wasn't on our side necessarily, but he thought that ultimate separation was probably the right way to go. But then when the French rebelled, he did an almost 180. He said, this is wrong. What the French are doing is fundamentally overturning their society in the French Revolution. He saw us Americans, we're trying to reassert our uh rights as British citizens that were arbitrarily being taken from us by the British crown, whereas what the French were doing was trying something so radical and extreme, it was destined to fail. Hmm. That is a, and, and there were a lot of conservatives, even of that era, that would have disagreed with them. That is a subjective measurement. I don't feel like I'm giving a satisfactory answer. I guess no, I'm saying are. There, there are dangers on both sides, and it requires a lot of wisdom and and a sort of recognition of both human nature and historically where we've come from, I think, to kind of guide us in a in a safer direction. Yeah, it's it, it is a good answer because it's 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 answering with again that nuance and complexity that it deserves. And it's acknowledging that, like, in a weird way, faith is involved in what you're explaining because nobody can ever know for sure that it's a hundred percent a moment that requires extreme action or that this is the right course or that this is wrong. But there's a faith in it that I, I believe that's the right thing. And we just kind of have to trust in that somewhat. Like you said, you have to have the prudence. You have to have the thoughtfulness. You have to challenge yourself. You have to think through it. But you'll never really know for sure. And, and I think that's accurate. What it makes me think, too, as you say in it, Josh, is like no matter where you sit on all this, right, Burke, any anybody on any of these topics, to me, it kind of comes back to this very um, – fundamental question of what what are we trying to get to right when, when the when we say when, when Burke says the French Revolution is fundamentally wrong what makes it wrong what is it that it either immediately like causes a problem with or it sets in motion that will cause the problem like what is it not allowing us to achieve that we should be achieving because in some ways that's the guiding star what is it mm -hmm. that we believe we need to get to is it I'll, I'll put this out there and you correct me through this thus far, it sounds like somewhat it's kind of like personal liberties and rights, right? Those inalienable rights that Lincoln spoke about. Is it that protecting those is the highest of all the goals and what we're working towards, or is it something else? Well, that's an interesting question because what the French were trying to do was establish a society of liberty, equality, and fraternity. 
a lot of Americans, Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Paine said, hey, that sounds really dang similar to what we're trying to do, right? And there, there's an excellent book by Yuval Levin, which anytime you get any, a chance to read anything Yuval Levin has ever written, it's worth it. And he traces the beginnings of Western right and left, right? The, the battle we have between the right and left, not just in the United States, but across the Western world, to the arguments that took place between Edmund Burke and Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine, of course, was among the American, uh, I wouldn't call him a founding father because he, he wasn't involved in the Declaration right. or the Constitution. His most famous contribution to the revolution, of course, was his writing Common Sense, which in a lot of ways uh, encouraged the average American to get involved in this revolutionary effort. Paine went to France because he said, hey, this rebellion is the exact same thing that's happened in America. It's all about liberty. The difference there is that Burke said, liberty is not some abstract idea to be demanded. We can't simply say, we ought to be free, and therefore let's tear apart every institution that's standing in the way of that liberty. Hmm. He's saying, in reality, life is so complex, and we mortals are so limited, that we don't fully have the capacity to know what will happen if we just tear it all apart. Other than the fact we could be pretty dang sure it's going to be worse than what we currently have. right? So that's, hmm. And that's one thing that the conservatives even today would say that, as bad as it is now, if you just have open anarchy, it's going to be worse. And so we need to be very reticent about tearing things down. Sometimes tearing them apart is the right answer, but we need to be cautious. And so what Burke believed was that our liberties, while they do come from God, and while they are uh, fundamentally rights, right, that that, that is a, an appropriate way perhaps to think of them, are nonetheless a precious inheritance to be preserved and slowly cultivated, rather than something that we simply demand because it's the right thing to do. Mm. And, and this is sort of a fundamental difference between the left and the right. Is it something that um, we might both look at something and say, that's wrong, it's representing inequality or an injustice, but do we humans have the capacity to reorganize society in such a way that we would establish something that is equitable or just? What is our limitations there? How far can we go? Yeah, it's a really interesting take on it because, again, I, I would say it's it's very logically sound in, to some extent, the sense that um, if we if we try and rebuild this, we try and try and do this in a dramatic fashion and just you know revolutionize or, or whatever word you want to use, the risk is too great. You know, I think you made an assumption before, which is that we we know it's definitely worse if we just have anarchy. I think there's a good argument to be made for that. Somebody could say, like, do we really know? Like, may maybe that's what well. we need to go through to work it out. But let's <laughs> let's put that aside for a second. Um, I think the idea that um, we need to keep things the way they are, it's tough because, again, it's logically sound, but it also keeps us in place. It keeps us stagnant. If, if changes are needed, I guess back to where Burke was, where, you know, there are times that will call for that change. It becomes so much dependent on that judgment and that assessment of when it is. And I just wonder why is is the belief that conservatism in, in the purest sense in which we're talking about it, that we're probably safer or better off if we keep things generally as they are and slowly transition them. Um, is the belief in that just because we haven't destroyed ourselves yet? Because like we're still here. So there obviously is some proof that conservatism works. Is it that simple? Well, no, no nothing's ever that simple. But I mean, sure. that obviously is, is part of it. There is a sense in which a Burkean conservatism is very scientific. And I don't mean that to just to say it's correct, but rather it's this sort of notion of we try things through small adaptations over time and experimentations to see what works. And if it works, 
Maybe we don't know why it works, but it works. So we'll move in that direction. Now, one of the main critiques of Burkean conservatism, and I mentioned the Straussians earlier, this is one of their main critiques of Burkean conservatism, is like, it sounds like what you guys are saying is we just need to be concerned with the pace of change. Hmm. But what if we're going the wrong direction? Like, shouldn't we be concerned about the direction? And I honestly think Burke was just as concerned about the direction. Um, but but it's, uh, anyhow, I, I don't want to get off on a, this episode is not intended to be a justification of Burkeanism over yeah, the Straussian no, school. It. Yeah, I get it. I think it's it's to me why it's interesting is it's it's uh, correct me on this, but it's a manifestation of your value and the belief in virtue in action. I would imagine the reason you feel strongly about some of these things is because you believe they are truly important. They are the most important things that we could and should be working towards. And that's always what I find fascinating because I, I'll say like I tend and you heard me on some other episodes, you could probably guess it like. I tend to sit on the fence and I'm not saying that with pride or as a good thing, but more in this place of like, but we don't really know for sure. Like to the, mm -hmm. to this example, like the past has, we're still here. That's true. But there are also aspects of things that probably could have been much, much better. Maybe if we change more drastically and I find myself sitting on the fence. So I always find it fascinating to hear when people feel like, no, 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 I, I don't think you have to sit on the fence on this one. I think it is better off. And I know I'm simplifying your statements a little bit in that. Cause you are, you do understand the nuance of it. But I, I think it's just interesting to think about you getting to that sense of conviction with it. And I, you, there's nothing you've said that gives me reason to disagree with it, which is what makes it all the more interesting, right? There's not an obvious hole in it or anything like that. Yeah, and, and I I, um, I wish I could think of the individual who come up with this analogy. It was not mine, and I would attribute it to him if I could think of their name. Maybe a helpful sort of uh, visualization um, of what we're talking about here is that they compared the sort of left and right divided we had between the way the French and the British gardened of all things. Mm. Whereas in the French society, these, they had these symmetrical shapes and these bushes were very cut and trimmed. It was very ordered, but it was very deliberate. Whereas in the British society, the gardening was a little bit more free flowing. It was just maintaining what nature, you know, there was human involvement, but you sort of let the bush do what it was going to do. And I, I think these comport a lot to progressivism over modern era or conservatism you'll notice the language of the progressives often include direction or purpose. The state has a purpose. It has a reason for being here. We're going somewhere. We're pursuing equality. We're pursuing justice. And it's not that conservatism is without those concepts, but we're far more concerned about space or structure or the environment. How do we cultivate within the culture we have? That doesn't mean we're not pursuing justice. But then the question becomes, well, is the state the appropriate instrument to pursue justice? Or is it the state's job to to create the, the level playing field whereby some greater concept of justice could ultimately prevail, even if we mere humans don't have the capacity to fully understand what that would mean when it gets here. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea that the, the, the idea that from a conservative perspective, there that it, it, it almost gets to a fundamental philosophical question of like, we as humans with our consciousness, do we have a responsibility to play um, God to an extent and say, we, we can now observe nature and see how it functions. We can see even how human nature works and what we've gotten right, what we haven't over the years. And now we can design a system, a society, a world, whatever you want to call it, a species that functions in the optimal way, right? Um, it, do we have that obligation to do that or do we not? Because I, I think through the conservative in the way that you're explaining it, it would somewhat say like, 
that would be arrogant as a, of us as humans to do that. Nature is what it's intended to be. We are here to shepherd that to some extent. Sure, we should try and do right by humans and minimize suffering as we do that. But to think that there is some direction beyond nature that we should be going is false, frankly. Is that a fair way to, to categorize the conservative view? I, I think so. The conservative is a gardener, not an engineer, right? And it's it's not even necessarily going beyond nature. It's that I think we're often guilty of forgetting we are part of nature and that if we actually create the tools whereby we can completely reorganize society, you know, it's that famous uh, Milton Friedman quote, where are you getting all these angels to organize society? Like, mm -hmm. I don't even trust you to do that. Mm -hmm. What example have we ever had of people that are truly wise and good enough that if we could create this sort of society, that's where we're going to go. Uh, yeah, sure. If, if we had a couple of angels volunteering, maybe we could make things better than they are. But I think that's sort of where that need for humility comes in is it's not just a matter of we're limited in our ability. We certainly are. We're also limited in our, in our goodness, mm. in our, in our true capacity to be uh, caring and just. And, and that's something we've seen borne out over and over and over in human history. And, and to a certain degree, I think it's fair to say there are many on the left that recognize that and have certain safeguards against it. But that, that's kind of the the concern there is to maybe this idea is just, but there comes prudence again. What's going to happen if we create a sort of society in which someone can pursue that justice? Is it likely they're going to pursue it or are they going to use those tools for nefarious purposes? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, again, the... the 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 thought that the thought that the that that we don't have the capability to do it right i think is a very reasonable fair thought i mean in some ways it's an acknowledgement as you said of of the flaws of, of humanity and, and trying to account for that to say let's let's do the least harm we can <laughs> given that we know we have issues and we're trying to kind of manage this it, that humility doesn't allow for the arrogance to think that we do have all these angels that could design this right um i i, I get that sentiment um I get that sentiment as part of it. I guess the question in some regards comes like if you, if you make it real in today's world and, and pick whatever progressive area you could, we could pick a lot of them from different minorities to transgender to all different things where there's the sentiment of like, okay, that all sounds well and good, but what about if, if change is needed, right? What if they see it as this is one of those times where we do need a fundamental change. We do not need to just stand by and kind of try and garden it. We need to actually affect the change because people are being hurt. How do we account for those instances? How do we make sure we catch them? Yeah, and and that's a good question that I I think I don't know if this is true or not, but sometimes I wonder if there's just a fun if at birth there's a fundamental difference between the individual that has a tendency to become a progressive versus a conservative. Like my natural tendency is just to I hate to say it, but I'm somewhat pessimistic. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming things are going to go wrong, and if they don't, I'm delighted. What is the old despair.com expecting the worst, rarely disappointed? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think is the phrase they use. Mm -hmm. And and, and I, don't, I don't mean I'm not reveling or suggesting pessimism is the way to go. I guess I simply mean that a conservative is usually focused on how we keep things from getting worse. A progressive is usually focused on, yeah, but how do we make them better? Right, And almost impatience with how things are. And, and so I think there is a natural tension between those two views. And if, if I take this out of political ideology for a moment... Mm -hmm. Both of those views are necessary for any functioning society. You have to have individuals to say, let's maintain what we've got, and others that say, but this is wrong, let's push forward. It doesn't always comport to left and right. There are times when conservatives are those pushing forward. There are times when the progressives are those trying to maintain. Um, but that being said, I think that this is 
something we haven't necessarily talked about too much in this conversation is a lot of this also comports to our natural worldviews. What do we think about human nature? How limited is it? Are humans basically good or are they basically evil? You know, is it, is it a world in which we're looking for solutions to problems or are we just working within trade-offs, right? We might be able to make some things better while acknowledging some other things might get worse at the same time. And where you fall in that worldview, I think, often is what persuades you to when it is appropriate to change something. I, I agree with you. There's a lot of wrong in this world. There's a lot of groups who say, but when is it my turn? But there's also that tension within there, right, that we can recognize, well, depending on your worldview, you might hold, yeah, I want to know when it's my turn, but I also recognize things can get worse if we just pursue this. Whereas there's some others that would say, no, that's not right at all. It's it's wrong that it's this way, and therefore hmm. we ought to do something now. Well, and that's that that's the the billion trillion dollar question in philosophy too. Like I think, is it do we ever should we ever aspire to get to a point where instead of needing both sides to keep the table up, right, as the two legs, you can just have one in the middle where like we recognize and start to realize what the what the logical, what the rational, what the what the objectively true decision is that we should do rather than a natural tension always being there and holding it in place. And I don't know, right? That gets to that evolution before of, it gets to the core of conservatism. Is there a belief that we can improve this significantly and, and we have the ability to do so and we're doing a disservice to humanity if we if we stay too far behind? Like I, I the logic is sound. There, there's a logical mm-hmm. reason, a scientific reason, almost as you said before, because it's it's worked to some degree thus far. Logically, it just makes sense that small incremental changes would be more likely be implemented. All that stuff, it makes sense. But maybe it's still not the right decision. Maybe this is still something that requires a big move. And, and I think this needs to be. And, and here I am speaking as a conservative. I recognize that there are my friends on the left would are, are welcome to disagree. Sure. But I think it is needful that we put things into perspective. Now, we might be able to argue over the last couple of decades, humans have taken a step back. But let's, for a moment, let's, well, if we take, we could even put the United States back in the equation. One could argue there, when else has it been a more equitable time for the transgendered or the homosexuals to exist in this country? I'm not saying things are perfect. I'm not saying we couldn't do better. I'm not saying we shouldn't do better. But were they really that much better off 50, 60, 100 years ago, 200 years ago? As far as the world goes, this isn't talked about enough, uh, although there's been a bit of a dip and COVID certainly didn't help. If you compare our lifetimes to the lifetimes of all other humans who have ever walked the face of the planet in every country known to man, we are more prosperous hmm. by immeasurably. Child death is down. Education is up. Those living in abject poverty are just a fraction of what they were even 50 years ago. We have come closer to literally eliminating abject poverty than humans have ever in our entire existence done. And I'm I'm not saying that there aren't problems and that we aren't at risk of possibly losing that, but I think that's a very necessary perspective to begin with. And part of what I mean when I say we we ought to be grateful um, is that well, let's look at the pro- progress we've made so far, and maybe we should be moving faster. But if we ignore, if we don't bring that into the conversation, then I think that's what concerns me. Yeah, it's like, yeah. uh, we need to pay attention to the fact we made it this far before we try to push for more. It's it's it does it gets back to it's it's why I think again not to keep plugging philosophy in this conversation, but it 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 ties to real life and pragmatic issues, right? Like 
what you're explaining as you're explaining that to me, it gets down to, you're right. There's a lot of things you can look at the measurement of and say, we are objectively better. I'm sure there's some things maybe that were worse. Maybe mental health is, is one of those, but even if sure. we are objectively better and moving through that, it gets back to this fundamental view of like, should we be okay with any unnecessary suffering? Right. Like, and, and I say this in the best possible ways, like you're taking solace in the idea that we've gotten better and you can kind of look from that viewpoint and be like, Hey, feel good about that. And that's reasonable. I think there's other people that look at it and say, but there's still so much further to go. Like, and I, I want to get us there. I don't want to just rest on that. I want to move us further. And are they right? I mean, there's a beauty to it. There's a beauty in that mindset of, I don't want anybody to suffer. That's a beautiful thing. I don't think anybody should take issue with that. As you've said, though, is it realistic? Like, is that going to mm -hmm. actually cause more suffering? I would imagine is the fear on the other side. And that's where you get in this twisted game of like, I don't think anybody's rooting for suffering in any way. In a weird no. way, we're creating the suffering <laughs> as we desperately try and remove it. And, you know, that's the irony of it. But anyway, it's more of a jumble than a question. But it's what makes me think of as you explain that. And I don't. There's a whole other, you know, you know, can of worms we could open it. And, and so maybe this will be a helpful thought. I don't, I don't mean to pull us too far off. And again, as a conservative, I would say that regardless of what we might do about suffering, regardless of what our views are on suffering, I have a natural suspicion to to what degree is that a policy question or a political question? Mm -hmm. Is it a philosophical question? Is it, it? In other words, it's not just a matter of can we eliminate suffering it might be a you know a question of well what is suffering what is the purpose of suffering sure. is there a purpose to it is there um what does that mean in in something that i my variant of conservatism I'll, I'll say that i think is extraordinarily helpful is that it necessarily puts things like suffering or the deeper questions of life outside of the realm of the state and politics doesn't mean that we can't have reasonable conversations about reducing things like poverty or inequality. But what it means is that ultimately within this life, that this is not the ultimate, right? And whether that means you have a religious or a philosophical or some other means of saying, well, this is the purpose of it all, it can't be political because that's a very limiting uh, dead end that, that, that very much squelches the soul that you have to look outside of politics. Does it make politics superficial, though, if it can't be held in the same regard? Like, I, I don't disagree that there, there would seem to be like a, 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 a practical reason to separate the two. But as you try and employ political views or policy, you, you get to that subjectivity and you have to make a decision. And I think those decisions are rooted in the philosophical, spiritual, religious, wherever it, whatever it's rooted in for that individual or that society. That ultimately is what makes those decisions, which makes policies function the way that they do. So I wonder, like, can, can you really separate them? Well, I don't know if you can, and maybe it depends on what we mean by separate them, but I'm thinking of uh, G.K. Chesterton, the theologian, uh, the author said something to the effect of, let me see if I can get it to, let me see if I can recall the exact quote. Some words to the effect of the more transcendental your, um, your faith, the more practical your politics. And what he meant by that was, and he, and he was a Catholic, he was coming from the, the Catholic school of thought, was that it was within Christianity, he believed, that it allowed for us to do as Christ said, to render unto Caesars that which is Caesar's and to God that which is God's. In other words, it is because there is an eternal that we can be practical in our politics. And if there isn't an eternal, then we have to either give up or try to create utopia. 
And what we have, and maybe it is possible, but what we have seen so far is every effort to create utopia usually ends up just creating a terrestrial hell on earth. Hmm. And so it, it is that sort of, maybe there's something, and, and I'm not just, I am a Christian myself. I'm not just trying to proselytize sure, sure. or others through stoicism or other sort of views have been able to say, look outside of politics. But I guess what I'm saying is that it's that sort of, maybe there's something beyond this that I think allows a person to have a very practical approach to politics and allows them to say, well, how do we remediate the suffering that we can while recognizing that at best all we're doing is, is just um, that this is sort of a shadow world, if you will, that this is not the be all end all. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I find myself typically feeling like there's probably, and we could probably list a number of them right now, issues today that seem like they don't need to exist. So when I when I say that phrase unnecessary suffering, because I agree, you're right, obviously, what is suffering? What makes it necessary or unnecessary? What suffering is good and all that. But there's probably certain things you and I, at least just let's use you and I could reasonably agree and say, yeah, that's probably a suffering that doesn't need to happen today. And it makes it, that's why I say it keeps coming back to that fundamental question, because do we tolerate that? Do we tolerate the idea that there's suffering that exists today that shouldn't and I think that gets back to the conservative progressive view of it. And it doesn't mean that one of them is right or wrong, but some people look mm -hmm. at that and say, unfortunately, we have to tolerate it because that's how we get to the greater good. And there's other people that say, I'll never tolerate it. It's never okay to me. And I think at their core, they could both be well-intentioned, loving, beautiful things. They are just, and maybe this is where you were before, it's, it's that fundamental what you're born with outlook on life and where it takes you what's what's the solution then i guess becomes the question right like is it is 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 there a solution that allows this to account for all those issues and still make it work in some way well there is since we've been so philosophical in this conversation i'm just gonna and this is my pessimistic view there is no political solution there is a constant tension a constant series of trade-offs that doesn't mean that we can't from a um the American solution, if we want to call it that, and I'm uncomfortable with the word solution, but I'll call it, sure. we'll, we'll, we'll use that for the time being. Uh, the American solution that the founders bequeathed us is pluralism, right? Dem democracy is not satisfactory. In fact, it is at best, the majority kind of gets what they want and the minority isn't murdered, right? <laughs> or at least gets to get on with their life and and sort of, and they're not they're not happy at all, but they're not in in danger, and their rights are respected. And, and that is the democratic system. That is, and the bigger our country gets, the more complex. What three hundred thirty million of us? Um, we're never going to agree on everything. Good grief! Even if we get all the conservatives and progressives to agree, you can't even get all the conservatives to agree. Let alone the left and the right uh, singing kumbaya around the campfire. Um, there have been though waxing and waning times of where our nation had more of a consensus. Heck, there was, you know, civil war, you could certainly argue it was even more divisive than it was today. And I do think sometimes we can get a little tunnel vision, you know, after the election of 1800, I believe at various eras in the Gilded Age, you can go back and read um, the political battles they're having then. And it's like, wow, we actually don't have it so bad <laughs> at, the, at the moment. But I think that that, again, conservative here, uh, big fan of the founding fathers, I do think that that is within reason, the political solution to this is pluralism. It's that sort of messy business of constantly arguing back and forth and recognizing that we have made progress. We're working toward a more perfect union while looking outside of all of that for our deeper purpose in life. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, and it, it it makes me wonder, is there any room in that? I, I like that explanation. I think it's a super reasonable, not everybody might agree with it. They might see the world differently, but I think there's an understanding to it. The question becomes like, is there room anywhere in there for hate? I'll say, I'll say hate in the group. I would assume there's never really room for hate, although you, you let me know your take on that. But the passion that comes with it, right? Because almost what you're explaining is maybe the best state is a recognition that, hey, this works best when we see the world differently and we figure mm -hmm. out a way to kind of blend it to get to the best outcome. At some point, it would seem there'd be a recognition to say, okay, then we should argue, we should debate, but it should never get to a level of vitriol and anger that maybe it gets to today or has gotten through throughout history. Like, is that okay? Is is that is that hatred? Is that is that probably fear a lot of it that's it's rooted in? Does it still work if that exists, or should the goal be to eliminate that? Yeah, and and that's a good question. Um I don't think we'll ever eliminate hate. And I don't know that hate is ever, is always inappropriate. You know, the, and, and here I am pulling from scripture again. It says, let not the sun go down on your anger or hate and sin not. And it's almost a recognition that hatred is a human emotion that you can't just choose not to. Like sometimes that's going to happen, but what do you do with it? And how do you dwell on it? Do you ruminate over it? And there are genuine times where, let's just face it, people behave in terrible ways and maybe hatred is the most appropriate emotion <laughs> to extend toward them. That being said, I, I think perhaps maybe more to the heart of what you're talking about, though, vitriol is not conducive to good government. And we have certainly seen, well, have, we have seen on both sides of the aisle, even if maybe someone might be able to reasonably argue that one party is worse than the other, okay, whatever, a complete dearth of leadership mm. and we are lacking statesmen. And I think that has opened the floodgates, not to mention the, the growth of social media has opened this floodgate to a sort of vitriolic enmity between multiple sides in the United States. And, and sometimes the great irony is that when you're able to successfully put these two sides together, they're like, Oh, we actually don't disagree as much as we thought we did. But we've gotten to the point we've so segregated within the United States, and, and there is that great separation, right, where there's the red states are getting redder, or the blue states are getting bluer. And it's gotten to the point that we no longer see the other as American. And that's a problem. That sort of vitriol is, is not okay or conducive to a, a healthy functioning government. We're always going to be at odds with each other, but we could be at odds with each other saying, you're wrong. But heck, if we're going to war, you're just as much an American as I am. Or heck, if, if we're in peace, you're just as much an American as I am. You just happen to be a wrong American. Mm. And I think there is a certain balancing there when I was talking about plurality, for instance. I'm a huge fan of federalism. Uh, there's a lot of things the states of California and Massachusetts do that here in, you know, red state Oklahoma, I think is nuts. But also, maybe it's okay that they do it that way. Mm. What business is that of mine? You know, why? And I think that's part of the problem is we've nationalized every freaking thing uh, that all power gets invested in the central government to the point that we all have to swing red or blue, even though it doesn't change that much in, in our minds. We all have to dictate everything from a red or blue stance. And, and I don't mean to make that answer messier than it needs well, to be. I guess, I mean, there, there's a sort of, there's a needfulness to kind of allow for everybody to fly their freak flags while at the same time, maybe flying less of them and maybe mm -hmm. flying them less flamboyantly and less in, in the other person's eyes. Um, so I don't know if I, that answers your question or not. 
I mean, it does. It does answer. There's always another level, right? And that's the beauty of this is you could always dig deeper, you know, a step. And because it, it begs the question still, why? Why? Like the, what you just articulated beautifully around the sentiment of, you know, at the end of the day, we're still Americans. You hear that often, but we don't see it nearly enough. And maybe there's reasons for that, right? Maybe there's the dearth of leadership. Maybe it's the media and the way that they're covering it. But it at least seems to be true. It seems that we can't overcome that. It seems that we can't recognize um, that the approach we're taking at its worst, right? When the vitriol is high, that that's actually likely causing more of a problem than it's solving anything that we're actually afraid of. We don't seem to be able to get over that. And that's that's still a fascinating thing to me of what what is the inability there? What, why is that inability there? And what's the responsibility of, of, of individuals like us to, to try and drive more towards that? Um, it gets back to a pessimism or an optimism view of, can we ever get there? <laughs> is there ever something to get yeah. to? I don't know. And I, I hate to say this, but I don't know the answer to that question. It is conceivably possible that this audacious American experiment of self-government has a cap, right? That if you get to a certain population or a certain diversity, you can't do it anymore. I don't necessarily think that's true, or I certainly don't think it's like we're going to fall apart tomorrow, but maybe there is a natural limit. I mean, we... Whether you believe we were created this way or evolved this way, I think it's true that the raw material of human nature is that we basically naturally behave as if we live in tribes or in a monarch. And this sort of pluralistic society is very unnatural. It's something that grates against our human nature. And that's why the what's interesting is the founding generation consistently talked about a free republic of self-government is an extraordinarily difficult thing to maintain. And today we have this mindset that if it's not working, some nefarious force somewhere is doing something wrong. Mm. And maybe that's true, but I think in reality, this is a really hard experiment. doesn't mean it's hopeless. Maybe we can find ways to reverse things. Or maybe we can't, but it takes another 100 years before they truly fall apart, or another three or 400 years. Um, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I honestly don't know. But I think it's worth the fight. I'll put it that way. It's certainly the best experiment humans have come up with to date, in my opinion. And I'm certainly, even if it's ultimately doomed, I'm certainly willing to give it my best shot. And what's underneath you having that drive to like what I guess to stick with the philosophical as we as we come towards towards the end somewhat. Why why does it matter? What is, is it religious ultimately for you? Is it the belief in God that makes it matter that we get this right? And because you could even look at America in the in the grand scheme of things, such a small blip on the radar. Yeah. And I think there is some recognition of that, at least in this moment of time, and that the push that some have against conservatism is that um we see things so much clearer now. And and to have a deep patriotism or a deep belief in something that we know is so finite in the grand scheme of things and how it's shifted and changed so much over time and will continue to shift and change that there's a better way than that, right? There's there's a little bit of a view that I think people have when it comes to that. And I guess, do you do you see that? Do you acknowledge that? Do you feel like there's something to that that might, um, conservatism does have a risk if it pushes too far the other way? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's um, well, and I apologize, could you rephrase that question? I'm, yeah, I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is um, there's a, there's a sense with the liberal view of it that the, the the belief, well, let's see if I can bring it back. It's it's ultimately getting at the idea of if there's a belief in why why does it matter, right? Is it is is it that God told us that it needs to matter? Because if you don't have that, there's no reason 
to have that belief that we have to get it right, that we have to do it a certain way. We just try and do the thing that helps the most people in that moment versus this greater foundational belief you touched on a little bit before. Um, do you worry about, I guess, the other side of that coin is the question that I'm asking. There's so many, so much benefit that comes with that deep belief and that overarching kind of moral compass of how to, how to function, but maybe it limits us in some ways at times too. Does that fear exist at all for you? Yes. And I, and I'm, I'm struggling with the best way to respond to that. Um, I, I, I've mentioned several times that I'm a Burkean conservative. One of the things that Burke was big on was providence. It was this notion that ultimately the hand of God is guiding humanity. Um, and that it's up to him in the end, right? Maybe everything we're doing is completely futile, but it's part of his greater purposes. Now, usually when we say that in American sense, that it's all part of God's plan, what we kind of mean in the background, even if we're not willing to say it is, and therefore I'm going to have a wonderful marriage and good kids and a good job and all that. Mm -hmm. Like, well, maybe, but there's a lot of examples in scripture where that didn't work out for people, even though they were still within the will of God or, or part of God's larger plan. But I think Burke also believed that there is something inherently, I'll use the word valuable, about this gift of liberty. Of course, he's talking from a British perspective, but we being the children of the the British um, uh, kingdom, in a sense, can kind of still borrow some of these ideas. That there is a celebration to this rare speck in history that we got to enjoy and participate in self-governance. And it's not just, you know, a lot of things are wonderful about America. I love our culture, not all of it. I I, I love our entertainment value. You know, it's, we produced entertainment beyond anything anybody's ever done before. And certainly we're more uh, materially prosperous, you know, than almost any other uh, nation you can compare us against, in, certainly in the past. Um, but that's not the core of it, obviously. It's it's this this fundamental idea of liberty that is a rare blossoming flower that takes just the right conditions before it could even be um, realized. Um, And that's worth preserving. Now, maybe ultimately in the end it falls apart and maybe I live to see it fall apart. Um, But there is a virtue in saying this is good and it is good beyond my mere existence here. And to be able to both participate in it and defend it is an honor and a privilege. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's something that, that, that I really hope that in beating the heart of all Americans, sure. we, we could say that this is a good thing um, that, that we would gladly defend. Yeah, is it is it it's beautifully said. Again, it's, it, the question becomes, and I'll, I'll ask it one more time, we'll see where it goes, and then, and then maybe we'll wrap, come towards the wrap. But um, if it is that beautiful, which I agree with you, it is that liberty, if, if there are instances where it is being deprived, where it is being um, held back or, or people don't have access to it, should we defend it with the same vigor? And I, and I think, again, that irony comes in where I think that's where there's good on both sides of this, where some feel so strongly that we need to defend and protect, you know, what's there, the liberties that we do have, when others feel like, yeah, but people are missing that. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm fighting with the same vigor to try and drive that change. And both working towards the same and equally good Um how do you think about those? Because some people could be listening to this conversation and say there's an entitlement in this conversation that we can even be thinking theoretically about big philosophical liberties and the beauty of it when there's people suffering and, and having their liberty deprived today in this moment, you know, in the world, inevitably, sure. in some ways. How, how do you reconcile that piece of it? Yeah, and and that that's a good question. And maybe there is an aspect, and, and I, this is possibly getting back to what you're asking earlier about the danger maybe of conservatism. Sure, sure. maybe yeah. there is an aspect in which 
there's a recognition of these things I, I am grateful for, but an inability to understand those who are outside of that realization. Um, now, there's that's tempered, I think, with, okay, so then what? Um, I, I There are those who argue, I don't think this is right, and I, I presume you probably wouldn't agree. Well, therefore, we need to be brought down a peg or two to somehow establish equality. You know, we can't establish equality by pulling down those that are up, right? We haven't figured out how to pull up those that are down yet. Uh, we can't just make people wealthy, but we can certainly take from the wealthy. It's not about just wealth, you understand. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. And, and maybe that's just in my personal life. It's something that I need to be mindful of. There are those who have not had access to this. Certainly there are those who don't live in this country. I don't claim to know the full extent of what is what is the grand purpose behind that, I'll say. Right. Why, why was I born here and not not somewhere else? Why do I, you know, there, there are aspects, and I, I won't get into it, but there are certainly aspects of my life where if I, um, you know, as, as an admitted pessimist, I can think, woe is me. Yeah. Why did this happen to me? Look, this person over here, it didn't happen to them. I don't understand that. And, and I don't know. And I, I'm not trying to say I have a terrible life, but there's certainly some things that we haven't covered in this conversation that yeah. um, some other people would be like, wow, I. I'm grateful that's not happening to me like it is to Josh um, or vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I'm not trying to, I'm not at all trying to say we all have an equal quantity of problems, but I do think that there's a great mystery to why it is that some suffer and others don't. And there is a, again, we're just going back. I, I don't want to talk in circles, but it, it is kind of that. Okay. So what do we do about that? Mm -hmm. We don't want to tear down the people that are doing okay. We want to try to lift up those who aren't. And unfortunately, our nature is such that we can't truly establish equality. For one reason, I don't think we could ever come to terms with agreeing on what equality even looks like, let alone getting there. And, and, and so there may be ways in which we're moving closer toward it, and I hope we are, um, but, but I think it's it doesn't negate the need for circumspection or prudence or careful reflection. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and I buy that. I mean, I get the, the logical need for that, for that caution, for that not trying to just change it all immediately and believing that nothing worse can come of it because something worse could come of it is the reality. I mean, I think we have to be honest about that. And again, that's what makes this so hard is, is making that subjective decision and kind of determining it. Um, I, I, so I get that. I do. I, I very much do get it. And I think there's some people that may believe that it's, I, I think this is my personal belief. I think I'm pessimistic and cynical as well. I think the fact that at our core, we still are somewhat primal and tribal and it, there's this, there's this acceptance and tolerance of there's going to have to be some suffering in the world. And whether I want to say it out loud or not, I'd rather that suffering not be me and mine, mm -hmm. um, and that it gets directed somewhere else that may be the reality of the nature of the world that we live in, right? But as long as that exists, whether we created it, whether nature created it, whether God created it, et cetera, that's always going to kind of hold us back a bit from finding it. And that if that has to be overcome to, to fix it. And that seems like too tall a task for us as humans to overcome that at scale, to actually care about it, each other equally. Um, so I tend to be pessimistic on the view of it as well. And it's interesting. I think you can be pessimistic and be conservative. You can be pessimistic and be liberal, obviously, but it's just interesting to see that that overlap. So 
Josh, this is a super interesting conversation. Um, I said it in the beginning. I like to kind of just see where it goes and just philosophize and, and talk about the views. And I think we certainly did that and got lost in it a bit, which is great. Yeah, I don't think either um, of us expected to go here, but hopefully it yeah, was this something is where we are. listening to. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think it's cool. I think following threads like this, this is how we learn and kind of, oh, th that's how you think about that. That's how I see it. And, you know, how do you handle this part of it? So I thank you for having that type of conversation because I mm -hmm. think personally as important, if not more so than the view, whether it be conservative or liberal, it's having that mindset to it. That's what's going to get us, you know, that's that prudence that we spoke about. So I appreciate you for bringing that. So let me give you the last word though, with anything, uh, anything you want to say. Yeah, I never know how to answer that question. I'll just say, I, I appreciate the very thoughtful questions and I, I, um, I don't know how satisfactory the answers are because sometimes I think it's, it's needful that we both delve in the philosophical, but also the practical. And I think sometimes both can be an escape or a dodge from the other. Um, but we're, we're trying to, you know, we do, li we live in a messy world. There's, I, I love the philosophical, but the reality is it doesn't get you very far. Occasionally you have to come down from the heavens and actually put the stuff into practice. And that's, that's part of the excitement of it, but it's also part of the uh, drudgery and the pessimism of it, if you will. But it, it, again, I, I am in a, you know, self-admitted self pessimist, but I'm also, I don't think that pessimism necessarily means I can't be with hope. And, and I, I really desire for when I speak that hope to come out. I talked earlier about how we have so much to be grateful for. And just think of how many humans before us, if they could look in at us now say, you guys don't have anything to complain about. I mean, you have it so much better than than we did. And, and I think it is, good to reflect on that and that, that means we can have hope for a brighter tomorrow even amidst a pessimistic worldview <laughs> yeah it's a it's a nice way to say it and to have that that beautiful view of it i understand why people see it the other way but i think we're only being objective if we acknowledge the beauty in it as well you know also the ugliness but also the beauty so i, I totally get that perspective so josh thanks a ton for being on i hope you have an awesome rest of your night and uh yeah i appreciate the awesome conversation glad to have it all right Hey, thanks a ton for listening to the episode. Um, I really do appreciate everybody that listens. And I think it's super cool that people want to hear conversations like this. They want to hear us talk about values and different perspectives and really just philosophical thinking. Um, I'm kind of on this mission or journey to bring philosophy back to the forefront, maybe even make philosophy cool again, because I just think there's so much value in thinking about our thinking, questioning and challenging ourselves more, pondering these big picture questions about life. Um, so in that spirit, I'm trying to expand that mission a little bit, and I created a Patreon account um, that would be awesome if you check out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's pretty simple, though. It's patreon.com slash what's the value. And the idea is for people that maybe want to learn more about philosophy, dip their tone out a little bit, or maybe you already love it and just want to get more of it, um, check it out because there's kind of a tier for everybody, whether you just want to get like a quick philosophical video or a thought of the day, um, maybe you want to email or text me some questions and get some thoughtful philosophical responses, or if you want to have a live one-on-one -on -one chat over Zoom. Um, we're even doing group discussions where we kind of do group philosophical debates and discussions and ponder some of those big questions. So check it out, see if it's something you might be interested in. Uh, as I said, I just love to bring more philosophy into our lives. And I thought this might be a cool way to do it. Um, whether that's your thing or not, and you're into Patreon or not, I really do appreciate a ton that you listen and check out these episodes. So I appreciate it greatly. And I hope you have an awesome day.